Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today we continue the season of Easter and celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're also continuing our sermon series, Easter in the First Person. Today we hear the story of the Apostle Thomas, better known as Doubting Thomas. But is his doubt really a path toward faith? Join us now for the message, Thomas, the Shadow of Doubt. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Sometimes we wonder sometimes if uh, doubt is the opposite of faith. And if you have doubt, that means you're a bad Christian, right? Or can doubt actually be a path to faith? We'll explore that question later. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John Chapter 20, beginning with the 19th verse. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. This is the word of God for the people of God. has hated me, or at least that's the way it feels like. He is a harsh man, rarely showing approval or affection, and when his anger is kindled, he lets out a tirade of cruel words and painful lashes. You see, I think he blames me for the deaths of my mother and my twin brother. She died in childbirth after 40 hours of intense pain. She finally gave birth to me, but she died before my brother could be born. And when she died, he died. For the rest of my life, I was known as the twin. This is the name that you might now recognize as the name Thomas. I was given to my mother's sister to nurse. She had recently given birth, and she had more than enough milk flowing for both me and my cousin. And she was a kind and warm woman who, who nurtured me through those first few years of life. But then at the age of six, I was given back to my father. It was felt that a son needed to learn how to be a man from his father. So that's when I passed from a home that was filled with love and kisses to a house that was haunted by a man who could never understand while the only woman he had ever loved had been taken from him at a time that was supposed to be so filled with joy. It was said that I looked like my mother, which you think would endear me to my father, 
but my resemblance only seemed to trigger his grief and rage. And whenever he drank too much wine, which was fairly often, he would take out his torrent of emotion on me. I remember one beating that was so severe that it took me close to the edge of death. You see, I'd milked our cow, and when I turned to carry the pail into the house, I tripped and the milk just fell all over the ground. And why that particular incident set off my father more than any other thing that had ever happened, well, that will always remain a mystery to me. But what I do know is that the lash with which he beat me that day cut me in a way that caused me pain for the rest of my life. You see, he had torn off my tunic and was using the lash directly on my back. And there was one particular hit of the lash that cut deep into me, through my skin and into my muscle. And even then he continued to beat me until my back was a bloody pulp. Now I do think he felt guilty afterwards because he didn't make me do any chores for weeks afterward. Eventually the lashes healed, leaving just a, a raised whelp for the mark of its placement. But that one deep cut, however, that never completely healed. And over the next few years, it would repeatedly become painfully reinfected. I do think my father had a realization after that beating. Maybe he began to see that his own son was unsafe in his presence. So he arranged for me to enter into apprenticeship with the village stonemason. And so at that point, I went to live at the stonemason's house with his family. Now the third house that I'd been a part of before I ever came of age. And the stonemason was never subject to the fits of rage that my father had. I was provided with adequate food and shelter and clothing. But from the very beginning, from the very first day, it was obvious that I was not a member of the family. I ate alone, and I slept not in the house, but in the shop. The stonemason may not have had my father's fits of rage, but he was still a strict and demanding man. And he taught me the art of stonemasonry, but there did come, that did come at a physical and emotional cost as well. When I made a mistake, he would wrap my knuckles with a cane. And so after a few years, the backs of my hands became covered with shallow scars. Now, they were not the deep whelps that my father had carved into my back, but since they were on my hands, they were much more noticeable. And I gradually became embarrassed in public for people to see my hands, and I often tried to hide them. I was working in the shop one day when one of the customers started talking about this itinerant rabbi who had been traveling throughout the area. Now, supposedly, not only was he this great teacher, but he was gaining a reputation as a great healer as well. And this customer was very taken by him. He said his name was Jesus. And I grew curious, so I walked to the nearby village of Capernaum where he was living with one of his disciples. And just when I arrived, he was there teaching on the lakeshore there of the Sea of Galilee. And as I listened to his voice, it seemed just filled with compassion and wisdom and a warmth spread through my body. And I felt the tingle of that warmth in every whelp that my father had sculpted on my back. He told the story of a man who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And this man was robbed and beaten by strangers and left on the side of the road to die. 
and first a priest, and then a Levite saw the man yet pass by on the other side. But then a Samaritan came upon him. The Samaritan saw the man and was filled with pity, and he tended the man's wounds, put him on his own animal, and left him in a nearby inn for further caretaking. And I thought of my own wounds and how wonderful it would have felt if somebody who was filled with compassion had stopped and tended to them. Because I longed to be healed of this recurring infection that plagued that one deep cut in my side left by my father. And I longed to be healed of all this emotional heartbreak that I'd now carried for so long. And so after I finished teaching, I found myself approaching Jesus and seeking some kind of blessing for myself. As I came up to him, he looked deep in my eyes as if he was trying to fathom just through my eyes what kind of pain I might be in. And then without saying a word, he reached out to touch where that deep cut had been carved so many years ago. And as he did, I felt that dull pain that was always with me suddenly slip away. And then he smiled at me, and I laughed out loud, realizing that finally the pain was gone. From that moment on, I followed Jesus and his entourage wherever they went. I left behind my apprenticeship with that stonemason, and I began my apprenticeship with the carpenter. I finally had the family that I had always craved. And then I had the honor to be chosen to be among the 12 disciples that be part of his inner circle. And we 12 spent almost every day and night with Jesus, receiving teaching that was reserved only for us. We were a band of brothers, bonded together in a quest to bring about the establishment of the kingdom of God. We became so close that I stopped trying to hide the scars on the back of my hands or even being self-conscious of the whelps on my back. Because you see, when you feel fully loved and accepted, you find that the shame and the embarrassment, well, they just melt away. We slowly came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of David sent to expel the Romans and to uh, reestablish the tribes of Israel. But the last time we went to Jerusalem for the Passover, that all came crashing down. One of our 12, Judas Iscariot, betrayed us by selling out Jesus to the religious authorities. Jesus was arrested and sentenced to death and then executed by crucifixion. As we sat in the house the day after we buried Jesus, I couldn't believe how easily I had been sucked in. How could I have possibly believed that somehow our pathetic little band from Galilee, a band of just peasants, we're somehow going to be able to figure out how to repel the Romans and set up the new Israel. How could we have been so fooled by Judas, thinking he was a loyal member of our formerly happy band? I felt like a fool. And our incredible gullibility filled me once again with that old familiar feeling of shame and embarrassment. So the next morning when some of the women came back from the tomb saying that it was empty, my first thought was that we, they must have gone to the wrong tomb. And when Mary Magdalene then made this outrageous claim that she'd actually seen Jesus alive, my first thought was she must be hallucinating 
as a result of her profound grief. Now, I admit, <clears throat> I did find it perplexing when Peter and John came back and they confirmed that the tomb was empty. But there were a lot of possible explanations for that other than the idea that somehow Jesus had risen from the dead. So at that point, my thoughts turned to my immediate future. What was I going to do now? Go back to Galilee? To do what? Move back in with my father? Uh, go back to the stonemason to my apprenticeship? Maybe somehow try to set up my own stonemason business? Only days before it, it seemed as if the whole world and all its possibilities were laid open before us. Now we just felt like animals caught in a cage. But even animals in a cage need something to eat. So I offered to go out to the local market and buy some food. Most of the others were too afraid to go out, believing that the local authorities would arrest them if they showed their faces in public. But at this point, I felt like I had nothing more to lose. So I left to the market to go purchase some food. And when I came back, I had come to the conclusion that somehow their hunger had made the rest of the disciples hallucinate, just as it had Mary Magdalene. Because they were actually claiming that while I was gone, Jesus had come and stood among them, even eating a piece of fish, and then giving them some sort of a Bible lesson. It was like they couldn't let go of their delusion that Jesus was some kind of Messiah. They wanted so desperately to believe, well, that now their minds were just playing tricks on them. Now, the fact that there still was no body to be found only added to their insistence that somehow Jesus had risen. Now, I had to admit it was unusual that 10 people would come up with the same delusion at the same time. But the only other alternative was to buy their story that somehow Jesus was alive again. So I said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. But still, I couldn't abandon my friends. If they were going to be delusional, well, then somebody needed to be the voice of reason. They needed me. And frankly, I still needed them. We needed each other. This band was still the closest everything I'd ever had to a, a real family in my entire life. Well, the rest of that week was a blur as we debated what to do next. A few more were now claiming to have seen Jesus, now including our leader, Peter. And to tell you the truth, after a while, I didn't know what to think. So many were now saying that they had seen Jesus, and there still was no body to be found but how could this possibly be? Well, it was a week later when it happened. We were all together in that same room when Jesus suddenly appeared once again. Only this time I could see him. I could see for myself that he was there. And yet even though he was there before my eyes, my mind was still racing for some sort of logical explanation. Something that my rational mind could somehow wrap itself around. Well, before I could come up with even one rational explanation, Jesus turned to me and he held out his hands. And I still see the place where his executioners had driven the nails. And then opened his tunics that I could see where the soldiers had pierced his side with their spear. And he looked right at me and he said, put your finger here and see my hands. 
reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, Thomas, but believe. And at that very moment, it suddenly became all clear. And instead of putting my finger into Jesus' wounds, I looked down at my own scarred hands. And I felt that place in my side where years ago my father's lash had cut me so deeply. And I realized that my wounds had become Jesus' wounds. And my scars had become Jesus' scars. And not only my physical wounds had been healed, but my emotional and spiritual wounds as well. And now all that shame and embarrassment and regret and guilt and grief and trauma that had ever been visited upon my body or my soul, that was now all held by Jesus. And I thought about those words, those words of the prophet Isaiah. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his wounds we are healed. All the pain that I'd ever endured had been inflicted upon Jesus, and now he carried that burden for me. And I would never again be crushed by either the pain or the shame. Then I did just the only thing I could do. I dropped to my knees and I exclaimed, my Lord and my God. Jesus continued to appear to us and the other disciples of the next several weeks before he ascended into heaven. Then 50 days after he was first raised from the dead, the Holy Spirit descended upon us on that Pentecost morning. And since then, we have never stopped proclaiming the gospel of God's love revealed in Jesus Christ. After a few years, we decided that it would be most efficient in our mission if we went to different parts of the world to preach the good news. And so we decided that I, Thomas, We'll go to the lands of the Parthians and the Medes and the Persians. This is the land that you now call Iran. And maybe after I go there, maybe I'll go on even to the land of India. And it is on the road to the land of the Parthians where I'm now telling this story. And I've already been now sharing my hope with all those who are traveling here in my caravan. And it is now with pride that I show them my scars and tell them the tale of how we have all overcome. So whatever scars or wounds that you carry, my friend, I can testify that Jesus Christ has already borne your burden and now carries all your afflictions. All you need to do is to trust that this is true. But if for now you still carry doubt, well, Christ could carry that for you too. Follow your doubt and do not fear it, because I think if you follow your doubt, you'll find your faith. Amen. And so now let us receive this benediction. May the Christ who walks on wounded feet walk with you on the road. May the Christ who serves with wounded hands stretch out your hands to serve. May the Christ who loves with a wounded heart open your hearts to love. May you you see the face of Christ in everyone you meet, and may everyone you meet see the face of Christ in you. 
the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you enjoyed and were blessed by today's service. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11. Next Sunday, we conclude our sermon series, Easter in the First Person, with the story of Barabbas, the man who was freed by Pontius Pilate in the place of Jesus. You'll find audio recordings of all our services on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. Remember, we're now worshiping both in person in our sanctuary as well as online. God bless you in the week ahead, and we'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church. Thank you.